Hi everyone, this is just editing Helena here. Before we start the episode, I just want to make it clear that we recorded this um, on Thursday last week. So before the current uh, before the current escalation of the coronavirus um, crisis and before more recent government advice came out. So any levity that we have about the closure of theatres or the difficulty of going outside during what's going on is just that levity. We would definitely recommend you take the seriousness of government advice into account um, and to take all necessary precautions um, as we all need to, but also enjoy the podcast. Um, you know, we enjoy creating content for you guys, particularly now, since this is, you know, one of the safe ways to kind of entertain yourselves now. So enjoy. And as ever, if you'd contact us, um, you know how to find us. All right, let's go. Welcome! (laughs) Welcome back, everyone, to Love's Labour's Watch. Um, your favourite, I say this every time, yeah. pop culture entertainment women focused podcast. We're back. You might not have thought we would be, but despite everything that's going on, we are still here. I think this is a great time to listen to a podcast. Um, oh, and mm-hmm. we're here for you. We've got a great episode today. Um, all about a new movie um, that is, well, out in the UK on, well, it just came out Friday the 13th yep. of March. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully hitting US theatres or streaming services soon. Mm-hmm. Um the movie is called Misbehaviour. Yes. You might have seen the eye-catching poster or caught a trailer prior to Emma or Little Women or some of our other like recent movie favourites. Yeah, we will get into talking about that um, in a minute. Um, and we actually have a great interview to share with you as well. Yeah, we were absolutely delighted to get to meet the director of Misbehaviour, mm-hmm. Philippa Lothorpe. Um, we met her in a London hotel, a very swanky London hotel. Yeah, it was great fun. Um, and had a brilliant... 30-minute chat with her all about the movie, her inspiration for it, the real-life story behind it, which we'll go into in a minute, Mm -hmm. and uh, also just a great chat about, like, female-led movies in cinema. It was such great fun, so we hope you enjoy that. Yes, and then, um, as always, we'll be hopping in after that to our normal chat about what we've been enjoying recently. Um, At the moment, given everything that's going on, um, Netflix has, I think, become a firm friend to all of us, so... (laughs) Always there for you. Always there for us, so we'll be chatting about that. But first off, we're going to charge off talking about misbehaviour. Yeah, let's go. So the movie Misbehaviour is about the 1970 Miss World competition. Uh, The worldwide beauty pageant in which women from across the world um, compete for the title of Miss World. the Miss World competition in 1970 was particularly striking mm-hmm. um, because it was targeted by the newly formed Women's Liberation Group. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, the eventual winner of the competition was the first black Miss World from Grenada. Her name was Jennifer Hostin. Um, so the movie looks into both these stories. Uh, the story of the protesters uh, led by Sally Alexander, played by Kira Knightley, mm-hmm. And Joanne Robinson, played by Jessie Buckley, who is a fantastic upcoming actress. Yes. Um, uh, meanwhile, uh, Miss Grenada, Jennifer Hostin, is played by the wonderful Gugu Mbatha-Raw, mm-hmm. um, who is phenomenal in this movie, as always. So an amazing cast. Um, the supporting cast includes Keely Hawes, uh, Leslie Manville, Greg Kinnear. Um, and then we also have the storyline weaves through of the first black 
South African contestant to compete, um, who was called Miss Africa South, Pearl Jansen. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is played by Larice Harrison, who's an up-and-coming actress who mm-hmm. recently was in Black Mirror. Uh, so yeah, it was a really exciting um, group of actors who are collaborating on this movie. And it basically tracks, yeah, the, this sort of protest and how it comes together, mm-hmm. um, delves into themes, obviously, of feminism and race, and what it, women's agency really means. Um, so it's it's really a comedy drama. And the movie definitely looks at like the different ways in which you can protest and you can make your voice mm-hmm. heard. And, yeah. and doesn't, I would say, champion one way over the other. Mm-hmm. Um, we got into this again in our conversation with Philippa, but, um, you know, for Pearl and for Jennifer, uh, you know, being able to represent their community and represent other women and like young girls like them mm-hmm. via the Miss World contest was hugely important. Yeah. And that was the most important thing. Um, you know, Jessie Buckley's character, Jo, she is very much the, she wants to protest in a, if not a violent way, certainly like an aggravating, uh, yes. aggressive way. Um, Kira Knightley's character, she comes at it from a more academic perspective, but she is kind of swayed into the more, yeah. um, you know, active protesting. So yeah, it's really fascinating. I think I don't think it comes down one side or the other necessarily, but it presents like this real historical event. Mm-hmm. It also features some great nineteen seventies costumes, yeah. uh, which I loved. Um, and yeah, it's a, a really good movie. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, not surprisingly, Philippa was also herself, as Francesca's already said, really inspiring and creative and engaging as well um, we had a really great time chatting to her and it makes it clear that when you have a director who cares so much about the what the story they're telling mm-hmm. it makes the movie greater than it could have already been because you know if this was made by someone who didn't care about the impact they were going to have then it wouldn't be the same kind of film so I think meeting Philippa made it even more clear that she is the kind of director who cares about the content and for a bit of an intro to Philippa um, her name is Philippa Lothorpe, and she is, of course, an award-winning film and TV director. She's been active for a, quite a long time now. Some of the stuff you might know her from uh, would be um, kind of more in the past, um, Call the Midwife. She directed the first series as lead director of that and was involved with it ongoing. And also she directed um, episodes of The Crown, the very well-known Netflix show. Yeah. More recently, she's been most re- most uh, known and re- rewarded for this uh, show, Three Girls, which is about uh, kind of women's sexual rights um, in a more modern day setting. Mm. Um, and she's been, again, awa- awarded for that. The show itself has received um, awards from the RTS programme and the BAFTA as well um so she's had a lot of work behind her prolific um work actually to do with kind of women's issues and ideas anyway so misbehavior is kind of coming in strong on those themes uh, it's her second major feature film um swallows and amazons interestingly was one she did before which i must admit i haven't seen but i absolutely love those books yeah. as a child so I, i'm very much gonna have to seek it out and i remember andrew scott was in it as well so that's not oh, the hot it. priest from yeah. fleabag yeah. if anybody doesn't know him from sherlock so um philippa is an absolutely fantastic um artist and director and her work has been you know recognized for that so misbehavior was not going to be any different and in our discussion with her we really tried to get into the kind of meter issues of misbehavior but also about her work as a director and her you know opinions about why she made certain choices and things like that and we had an absolutely insightful and amazing time chatting to her so i hope you have an amazing time listening to us chat to her yeah enjoy we certainly did So, I'm sorting off. 
Yeah, right? go for yeah. it. Yeah. So um, we know your previous projects have included um, things like Call the Midwife and Three Girls, which have been sort of heralded, especially because of your direction and things like that. And they have kind of similar themes and messages, I think, mm. to the kind of ones that come out in misbehaviour. Um, you know, they take a critical lens on the role of women in, mm. the, in the past. Um, and so in that vein, sort of with um, misbehaviour and the 1970 Miss World pageant, like what drew you to the project? I think it's a really wonderful time to look back at that uh, era. It's 50 years ago this year that since the Miss World competition was stormed by those women's liberties. So it seems like a really good uh, sort of zeitgeisty thing to do, to look back at that time and see what those women did and the rights that they fought for us, how, how they succeeded, and also to think what still needs to be done. So it seems like a really good halfway point, you know, what, 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 what did they do to say thank you to people, to those women who fought for our rights, equal pay, mm -hmm. education for all, abortion on demand, all of those really important things that they, that they fought for that enabled people like me to go to university, whereas my mum wasn't allowed to go to university, you know, it's that, that kind of thing. And then just now for you know, young women to think, hmm, what else needs to be done? Uh, how can we do it? And hopefully that this film will inspire young people to think we could do we can shout from the rooftops. Well like you're doing with your 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 thing that you're doing, you know, yeah. that's brilliant. That's what you're doing. Yeah. You're shouting about what women are you know, that, that's an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. Really important. Yeah. And was that very much at the forefront of your mind when you were making it, like thinking about the different generations who both preceded uh, the, the people who were focused on in the movie and um, you know have come after and like did you want the movie to kind of connect with everybody or yeah. challenge people definitely we, uh, yeah. we, we really wanted to make a film which reaches a big wide audience mm. of young people to old people it's, it's, a, it's a, a film which has got something for everybody in it I think and also we wanted to make something that was really accessible and fun and not hitting you over the head with mm. with you know being earnest and too serious it's it's really you can't make a very overly serious film about miss world pageant because you know and throwing flower bombs for a start but underneath there are serious things to say but saying them in a really warm witty and provocative way is fantastic for this particular film i think yeah and sort of considering the fact this is real events and then there are real people um you know bob hope sally joe um Kind of what was your experience with that? I mean, we know you kind of consulted closely with the real life characters, yeah. you Sally Alexander, Joe Robinson, and then Jennifer Hostin. And like, how did you sort of navigate the fact that it was real and there were real people to talk to while keeping that sort of fun nature of the film as well, making, making think, it accessible? Yeah, I think the people themselves are fun. Mm. The Joe, Joe Robinson, and the, the women who were, they're still very, very close friends. She's still close friends with Sally and the women that she lived with in Grove Avenue. They are really fun people. So it wasn't a case of having to make it fun. They they spoke about that time with such joy and rebelliousness and kind of wit that it, it was essential for us to show that in that way. They weren't like marching around like serious, like po-faced people. They were just young people. They were like in their early 20s or mid-20s and they were just had that exuberance and joy and, and, and real... They just felt like they were revolutionaries. Mm. And that energy and force is really attractive. So really we, what we had to do was capture what they were saying and 
give it into the script for yeah. the actresses to yeah. capture. So that was that was quite an easy part actually. Mm-hmm. And then with the contestants, it was really important for us to show those women as human beings and and find out why they did what they did. Why did they want to be in a beauty contest? And at that time, it was a way of for them to have a chance to do something in their life. It wasn't a case of we just want to go off and show our bodies. Because they were ambitious people too. Mm-hmm. You know, like Miss America says, I would have just been a secretary to some bozo in a shiny suit, whatever. It's true, you know. And for often, for in, in that era, you know, there were so few opportunities for women that people had to find their own way of making a mark or getting a platform to do something. Mm. So that was really important. And then the other important person for me was Pearl. Because Pearl represented another kind of politics world politics you know of apartheid and what happened to her is a ref you know a wonderful reminder of what she had to live through and go back into uh, south africa and live under the apartheid regime for the next 20 years 25 years until she was able to do what she wanted to do so it it was important to look at feminism and and women from all of these different points of view in this film from Mm -hmm. for us yeah Course. not make it just really simple yeah yeah and I think that really comes across that you, you know you've got that intersexuality but you've mm. also got all these different perspectives being privileged it's not just the one point of view no. of um Sally or Joe no. or, or anyone else um you've even got Bob Hope in there and you get you know his wife's point of view yeah. and, and a snippet of that so how was it um juggling all those different storylines and making sure that that all came across it was it was a it was um, a lot of drafts of the script were written <laughs> and we spent a lot of time trying to make that work as best as it possibly could and, and so that the flow of the film works beautifully so you're taken on a little journey via all of these characters but each character accumulates in you and the film is more than the sum of its parts at the end so you're, you're, you're by juxtaposing, juxtaposing Dolores with Jennifer with Sally with Joe you know you 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 get this like a choir of female voices which I absolutely love so each person becomes more than themselves if you say to me I can't explaining it very well but you know I mean it's like bringing all these voices together in a choir makes this beautiful sound whereas individually they'd they'd be beautiful but together they're like powerful you Mm. know what I mean yeah um, and when it comes to sort of making the film um, kind of from your kind of like directorial style, I know you've kind of worked with documentaries before as well. And so and I guess this is in some way you could have done it as a documentary because you have mm-hmm. access to those people and there's historic footage which you made use of. Yeah. Um, so how do you think like that impacted the ways in which you sort of told the story? Because there is that moment as well where the film becomes kind of real. Yeah. at the end as the yeah. characters turn and then yeah. face and then they switch into their yeah. real life counterparts uh, we wanted to, well I wanted to make it in a style which was quite real and had an energy of reality to it, I don't know if you know there's some wonderful street photographers who I used as references there's um, a woman called Shirley Baker and another a man called Roger Main and they went around photographing, she was in the north and he was in London and those vibrant um, photographs were very much an inspiration for for this film for mm-hmm. me. I wanted it to feel real, and like you know, in the demonstration, I wanted to feel like you were really in there. 
yeah. and the mad camera work mm-hmm. and everything. I wanted it to feel like the audience could be made to feel like they were actually present and the thing was happening all around them. And that was very important because it is a real story. It is a truthful story. It's drama. And obviously you have to fictionalise little bits to make it into a drama. Mm-hmm. But actually, essentially, it is very, very truthful and authentic. And the spirit of it is very truthful to yeah. the women's experience. Mm-hmm. And as, as part of the film, you obviously bring to life the Miss World contest um, in all its glory at the time. <laughs> um, and, you know, you, at times your camera is kind of mimicking what the camera, the camera work from that. Um, from that event so I think most memorably when you know the women turn around and you've got that quote unquote you know derriere shot um did you feel conscious that you were kind of reclaiming that by obviously being a woman and it being you know the female gaze rather than that you know male gaze definitely but also actually being a bit pointed with it and saying look people this is going to make you feel really uncomfortable to see this shot Mm -hmm. uh, and to experience having loved and known the contestants in the story and then to confront us with them having to turn themselves into just bodies is a really really important bit of the film because it brings home to you just what a beauty pageant did to women really Mm -hmm. it objectifies women doesn't it so I think that that scene when they have to turn around is a really important point in the film and it puts it puts a little in your, mm-hmm. you know, you th- it's uncomfortable, isn't it, to watch mm-hmm. that scene, and that's good because yeah. we've, that's the whole point, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Saying this is not, we mustn't look at women like this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and, and you see, I we show the women's faces like, yeah, you know, looking really uncomfortable. And Jennifer, the real Jennifer, said that you know she just that she, when she had to turn around, she did feel incredibly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in that. Um, yeah, I can imagine. So, and particularly, I mean, that's a really interesting point that um, Gugu playing Jennifer brings out too um, when she has that scene with um, Sally Alexander kind of in the bathroom. Yeah. Um, when you're kind of, again, um, what's the word, you're confronted with yeah. the idea that as much as, you know, Jennifer may not have enjoyed it and you see those shots of them being uncomfortable, it's yeah. still a means of access for yeah, her yeah. Um, and that seems and it's still yeah. a, a success for her yeah absolutely yeah. Um, so yeah so I was just going to ask about the importance of having that in there and it's the... very important I yeah. think that's a really key scene mm. because it's it's the moment when those two um, views of what, what feminism is and what femininity is come together mm-hmm. and it's it's a really important scene I think and the you know Kira um, and Gugu also their performance in that scene is so brilliant, so thoughtful and and very moving actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely definitely kind of played out to me and you as well mm-hmm. that you know, you know, once you start creating barriers to femininity and yeah. to feminism, then you start kind of doing the same thing that yes. feminism is trying to exactly. fight against. Really, it's isn't so it? important to see other people's points of view, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was like Keely Hall's character, um, you know, being the co-creator of um, the Miss World competition, despite being a woman as well, but also being this kind of strong businesswoman at that period. Yeah, Yeah, I thought it was really clever how all of those different strands of feminism, I suppose, come together in the film. And also seeing how, what, what, you know, in 1970, there just weren't opportunities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Eric, you know, treats Julia as an equal... 
in his male world. Mecca was a very male-dominated world, but he had a lot of respect for his wife. Mm-hmm. And she was, you know, she's gone on to run this world. She's 80 now. So it's, it's important. It's like, yeah, you're right. You, you just want to respect those women as well. Because mm-hmm. that's what they had, that's what they had on the table. That's what they had to use to get to yeah. do what they wanted to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And what did the cast bring to the bring to the, the playground, as it were, you know, in terms of um, their ideas of what the characters should be. I presume they did their research and it, it felt yeah. to me like a very like collaborative movie in every sense. So. It was really collaborative. Yeah. It was wonderful to work with all of the cast and they, they all loved the research aspect of it because, mm. of course, it's a true story. So Gugu met Jennifer herself. They, they, they spent some days together and um, Kira met Sally. Jesse Buckley met Joe. You know, there was a, a lot of desire to inhabit and meet the real people. And that was a very important part of it, actually. And sadly, recent fans couldn't meet Eric Morley because he's he sadly passed away. But there was a brilliant documentary made in 1968 about Miss World, which had loads of footage of Eric. And we found lots and lots of film of Eric. So Reese could obviously imbibe the Ericness that he needed yeah. to bring that to life and yeah. those scenes where Eric's dragooning all the girls and doing his rehearsal mm-hmm. are f- absolutely inspired by the archive we found of him mm-hmm. doing the same yeah. thing putting the cloak on and all of that mm. <laughs> yeah and um, when it comes to sorry historical films um, as this is one um, how important do you think kind of as a director and as a storyteller that you some people say you should stick to the, the facts and you shouldn't embellish or you shouldn't um, play down things that were important um but equally you know in some ways when you're dramatizing something some things rise to the surface and some mm. others don't how important do you think the historical accuracy is in a film like this i think i think rather than accuracy is the wrong word because if you made a thing that was slavish to the facts you'd have a film which was 30 hours long yeah when, when you're making a true story you have to know what to leave out even you know even when i made three girls which is based on absolutely on a true story mm-hmm. Just by the choices you make, what you're going to show, what you're not going to show, you're already making choices. And the same with, with misbehaviour. You're, you're filleting the story, aren't you? Mm-hmm. So everybody gives you the ingredients which you lay out on the table and then you get your ingredients and you bake a new cake with it. Yeah. And that is what I feel like making a drama from a real story really is. And you, you can't tell every bit of it. You can't tell... I would have... There was, there's lovely things I would have liked to have put in the film. Yeah. The the you know the court case, um, which Joe and Sally, they all we show them coming out of court at the end. Mm. That court case is fascinating. Joe was incredibly rebellious in that court case. She kept demanding to go to the toilet all the time and disrupting, and they were all disrupting it. But it, there was n- there wasn't it wasn't right to put it in our film. Mm-hmm. So you have to leave things out, and you have to. For instance, the the, the scene with Jennifer and. Um, Sally, that is a fictional scene, but it's an important scene for our telling what the film is. Yeah. So I think that when you you say, you know, it's based on a true story, it isn't the true story, but it's very much based on the true story. Yeah. It's not. It's not a documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And definitely, when you want to sort of make sure that the themes that are important from the story and things that we've learned with hindsight and things like that, yeah. you can't bring those out if you aren't kind of able to. You have to, you have to be able to um, in in when you make a true story into a drama, 
you have to be able to create certain scenes for the purpose of dramatization otherwise you wouldn't like make a a good piece yeah. that had a beginning a middle and an end um but i think everybody understands that and it says based on a true story yeah of friend, course it? of course it's yeah. just it's things like um uh, I remember when we watched a bit of historical stuff too, and it's yeah. Every every time you watch something historical, there's someone out there being like, "Oh, it wasn't specifically like oh, that." Oh, definitely. Oh, I've had ways. that. Yeah, loads of times. I'm sure people will say, "Oh, they didn't really wear that colour." But actually, they did. Oh, oh, we the the research and authenticity of our actual design is huge. So the mm. the we had to we weren't allowed to show. The Miss World set, so that has to be created. So there are things that you're you're not allowed to show because of copyright. So yeah. you have to create them. But things like all the costumes that the girls wore in the national costume parade, they're all real, yeah. sort of copies of what they really wore. And also things like you you want to make it as authentic as possible for the contestants. I wanted each of the girls from each of the country to be that can be from that country. So yeah. Miss Japan, who is in our film is Japanese, so mm-hmm. Miss France is French. So, mm-hmm. And that was quite a nightmare for the poor guy who yeah. had to find all these women, yeah. young women, to come and be in the film. I said, no, I really want them to be able to speak the language and to actually be Japanese. I don't want an English person to be pretending mm-hmm. to be Japanese. Yeah. And also, it's Miss World. I want to have all this ethnic diversity in my film. And it's it's the sort of thing that you don't really notice until but if you if you think god they they just look so authentic those girls that's because they are yeah they really are from argentina or yeah you know that, yeah. and we worked very hard for those kind of things absolutely yeah and i think it's interesting what you were saying about the costumes um because i think in the movie there's very much this like thread of like the transformative power of clothes because like when um, the protesters are going to infiltrate, uh, they have to kind of dress in a yeah. sort of quote unquote more respectable way. Yeah. Um, but then of course you've also got like the swimsuits that that they you know the um, the contestants memorably wear, um, and yeah, I think it was it was just an interesting thread because obviously you don't want to be like oh a movie about women the clothes are important but actually the clothes and the yeah. way people are presenting themselves mm. I did think was an important theme. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love the fact that you said that the transformative power of clothes. That's a brilliant way of putting it. And you're right, absolutely right. So, yeah, how they, how each woman presented themselves said something very particular about feminism or not mm-hmm. at that time. You're absolutely right. And there's the scene where... And the, the women themselves said that when they had to dress up in the posh clothes, they felt like they were not themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and they really did have a communal clothes cupboard. <laughs> I don't think it was as neat and tidy as even as our one in the film, but, you know, they, they, they really did feel peculiar mm-hmm. putting that uniform on or yeah. Yeah. hiding themselves in plain sight yeah there's absolutely something to said too for like you know women are always classically associated with like materiality and mm. the, you write about the clothing i remember i read a um, story about um, pal jansen going out and buying herself a white dress from harrods yeah you know that really happens because yeah. um they give her a horrible one and things yes, like that exactly. that's miss africa yeah. south so um yeah and i guess having that is something that you pick up on yeah um, means that the message comes through even clearer. Also, that little story is her. Pearl loved her dress so much, so that's why there's that scene with her in the in her bedroom mm. with her dress mm. because she scene, absolutely yeah. loved that dress, and that was our way of dramatizing that bit. Yeah, of, we couldn't have a scene of her running to Harris to get her dress, but we could have that scene where she just loved it. You know, yeah. you know stroking it, and she just said 
yeah, she loved dressing up in it, and mm. yeah. So other than the the true events of the story, um, what other films or books or, or any other pieces of art that in, inspired you? I mean, you mentioned earlier the street photography. Yeah. Um, but were there other movies, perhaps movies from the era or, or more we recent watched films? A, yeah, we watched a lot of films from the 1960s right. in preparation from this. And what I loved about films from the French New Wave, you know, Truffaut films, they are very real, but they have a joyfulness to them. And that's what we wanted to capture in this behaviour. Mm-hmm. We wanted to capture the wit and humour and the kind of provocative nature of what the women were doing and mm-hmm. the energy. And a lot of those early 60s films are like that. I think it was a time of revolution or across the board. So, you know, like Roger Bain's photographs are full of life and, and, and just really quite daring as as are those films so that was what mm. we were we were like glued to those those films really wanting to have that combination of energy yeah. and, f- and joy and fun but you can have subversion underneath yeah getting your message out that's true and in terms of the message um i've sort we've sort of done a bit of a reading around and i think there was one kind of phrase that stood out to me when i was reading about um the film and what people thought of it so far um and uh, i think somebody wrote as part of their copy about it um that it was um even men will watch it which i thought was quite interesting um so i wanted to see what your take on that was because obviously you watch it and you realize it's not just what the trader it's not just about the protest it's It's about everything around it and the men and the women as well so the political context yes of course and you you show the diversity of views and you know of what people felt Mm. about this time and so except it's also sending a message about femininity and feminism so if someone says even men can watch it like how how do you how do you kind of respond to that well i want men to watch it i think they should watch it i think i think it's a film for everybody Mm -hmm. and i think it's really important that men join in um uh, looking at this stuff, yeah, yeah, and 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 thinking about it, and also themselves seeing all those terrible old-fashioned views in front of them and mm. feeling, oh, gosh, you know, that was mm. awful, yeah, and having a laugh at the attitudes of Eric Morley or, or Pope. I think it's really important that men see this film just as much as women see it. I yeah. think I would have wouldn't have made it just for women. Yeah, I think it's it's good for men to see it as well. Last night there was a screening, and I think about half the audience were men. Mm. So it's, I was surprised. Yeah. But I thought that was good. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was really good. But I really want young women to see it. I think that's my... My daughter hasn't even seen it yet, and she's just she's just 23. But she's. I think it's really important for teenage girls to see it. And, you know, some people in the audience last night were saying it would be, it'd be a brilliant thing to show in schools, you know. Mm. I think it's, it's... If you're... There aren't many films for young women about this stuff are there then no. so yeah. that's why it's like yeah, yeah and you can easily not know about something as well you know or, or you sort of vaguely know about it but you don't know the details yeah. of what you know you don't know the realities of what you know the women yeah. were like at that time so yeah i think yeah. the movie definitely brings that to life I, yeah. I can't confess to knowing much about the 1970 no. pageant until no. i heard about the film looked it up those yeah. kind of things um, and to yeah again to find about the two I, some funny things come up I mean Pearl Jansen's name isn't on the Wikipedia entry mm. as next next to um, um, 
Oh, her last name's Jessup. I can't remember her last name. Gillian. That's it, Gillian Jessup. So it just shows you already the sort of like inconsistencies mm. or mm. the things that are, um, what's the word, things that are already being kind of erased yeah. about that time. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. important to have a film which is out there saying these things and saying them yeah. sort of authentically. Yeah, and a film about women. We don't get that many films about women, do we? No, we, we don't. We don't <laughs> about like loads of women. We, there's often films about loads of men, but I think it's that's a good, good fun. Yeah. Sort of. yeah, and I think that conversation is getting louder. You know, like obviously recently we have films like Little Women. More so transformative costumes as well. Very true. Oh my yeah. god! We love Jack and Darren, I know Jacqueline. <laughs> I love that those costumes. Yeah, I think they were just. She absolutely deserved her Oscar, didn't oh, she? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's such a gorgeous film. I loved. I, I think you know Greta Gerwig's done so well. She's she's a very inspiring mm-hmm. woman for other directors, mm-hmm. young directors to inspired you go yay yeah especially when telling the stories um i i've heard some interesting sort of kind of talk about little women and lady bird that's talking about sort of like teenage girls and Mm. youth Mm -hmm. and sort of what you know girlish youthdom how that changes as you start to grow up and get maybe i guess infected or impacted Mm. by all these different themes that the women in misbehavior fight out of you fight fight against yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah absolutely yeah we've loved those films i know i was so thrilled when they were i mean misbehavior has been trailed a lot in the cinema which is absolutely fantastic and it was trailed a lot with little women and I thought if people like Little Women, they'll love this because this is like the next a next chapter of a story mm-hmm. of women, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And and that they they they're not linked, but they are. It's like wow, what happened next mm-hmm. to those groups of you know feisty women who wanted to do something? Mm. Yeah, and I really liked um, you know the end of your movie when it's like something along the lines of like the patriarchy is still. Ongoing. The fight against the yeah. Yeah, and um, I think that was a really interesting way of finishing the film because there are moments where you you're watching it and you're thinking, oh, that's actually outrageous, and I can never imagine such a thing happening today. And then there are other moments where you don't quite feel like that, and you feel as though Mm. things perhaps haven't progressed as much as we would like. Um, And yeah, I think that was a really kind of interesting juxtaposition between where we were, where we are, where we still need to be. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, were you kind of conscious? But you of that? want you want the film to be provocative as well. Mm. We, we, we you you want to take people to take away that thought mm-hmm. about the patriarchy mm. and what what's happening now, in, but in a really cheeky way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in that vein, looking to the future, you know, we've done a bit of talk about the Oscars uh, as well on on the show, and um, we really highlighted the fact that um, you know, someone like Natalie Portman making her stand mm. with the stitched gown. Yeah, with that the was amazing. Name. Another great yeah. cape. Another yeah. great cape. Love yeah. the capes. Um, just in terms of your perspective, what kind of female-led projects are there that you're really interested in or aware of or are you kind of looking forward to in maybe the next Do you few mean years? to watch or to make? To watch or to make, whatever, yeah, whatever yeah. you want to talk about. I think the, the, the films that I'm developing are all... Or when you think about it, by accident, really not by design, all have really strong female characters mm-hmm. and questions at their heart. So I must be wanting to do that. I, you know, not deliberately, but they, that's what the stories that I'm drawn to mm-hmm. are about strong female characters and telling women's stories, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So we can hope to see a lot more of that from you and from other directors and yeah. writers and producers and, and everything yeah. like that. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, so, so do we, I think. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. And there's obviously an appetite for it, right? Like, you know, 
Yeah. Women want to see themselves reflected on screen. So, they yeah, they absolutely. really do. It's, it's, it's down to the people with the money, isn't it, to commission and empower women to make these things. It's all very well getting crossed with the Oscars and the BAFTAs, but they don't make the films. No, they don't yeah. give the money to finance films. So it's, it's the behind-the-scenes people. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's a pleasure. Well done you for doing your... Yeah. Right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that again as we said before we started we certainly really did um, and it, we want to also thank Philippa again for the time that she gave up chatting to us and she was so insightful and open with her answers and really gave us the um, the time of day which I think on a busy press day you don't always have to do so it was yeah, great it was a great experience and yeah uh, yeah we highly recommend the movie in case that's not obvious um and we'd love if you go see it if you want to get in touch with any thoughts um or any questions that you have for us about our thoughts about it that we haven't mentioned like we'd love you know to have that discussion continue absolutely we would um and yeah also we were just talking about this before we started recording um it's probably quite a good time to go out to the movies and see a film, provided you sit, you know, two seats away from other people. Uh, a misbehaviour is certainly playing in cinemas, unlike some other films. So definitely worth going to see that in your spare time. And you might have a lot of it. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Who um, knows? Well, speaking of a kind of slightly unusual cultural climate we're in at the moment, mm. um, what have you been finding time to enjoy in amongst... Everything reading else. all the news alerts and everything yeah um so well actually um speaking of netflix i was i did when we were we first started mm. um the, we started the podcast um i decided to sit down and i thought to myself i was off off work but i wasn't working for the last two days so i thought well i guess i'll try and binge something mm. while doing some other stuff and i actually opened up sex education oh because well, you haven't seen that i before, haven't seen it you? before oh, yeah so good. um i was mostly inspired by the so a lot of people have been using a certain scene from oh, the yes, second yeah, series yeah. <laughs> where one of the main characters goes a, a character comes out of a bathroom and the main character is like wash your hands you dirty pig and then the character's like i wasn't oh i was crying it's like i wasn't doing a poo or something like that <laughs> yeah. like, you're like no you need to wash your hands anyway yeah it was so, a very informative scene yes yeah. and that was made without the um without the the context of coronavirus because yeah. obviously second season came out uh, last year didn't it, it came out um in january of this year oh yeah. so relatively recent anyway yeah. um so yeah and i decided to start watching it and I mean, everyone I know has said it's amazing. And it's unusual in that, I think, across the board, like, my, my flatmate's boyfriend liked it, and he doesn't like the same stuff as I do. I mean, you've said you liked it, which is not surprising. You have good taste in shows. So I went into it being like, I probably will enjoy it, but we'll see. And honestly, it's made by Gillian Anderson only. I'd watch that show for Gillian Anderson being, like, a weird, fun sex mom any any time she's a sex therapist yeah for context for context not like a not like a sex worker that would be okay too um yeah watch it for her she's so fantastic she's great yeah so beautiful such oh, and great she has such amazing outfits and I, I really liked in the second season how she got a bit more screen time but oh, I think in the first season yeah. she's more of a cameo role isn't yeah, she and yeah yeah she has her own plot lines which oh, are fun to see awesome yeah because like um oh yeah how far are you oh i'm on episode eight of okay. season one so oh, okay, everything's okay. just started going down and what I, th I think is most amazing about it really is how they manage to juggle the different characters like there are some characters who you like less some who you like more and of course with the main characters you know their storyline you feel very empathetic with you know the main characters of otis played by 
Merlin famous <laughs> yeah. Ace of Butterfields, who I've loved since he played a young char- a character of young Mordred in Merlin like seven or eight he years ago. He was very ago. good in that. He was really scary. He was. He, he was, was, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was time. in the Steven Spielberg film um, Hugo yeah. as well. Um, so he was known for being the child actor, disappeared for a little bit, has come back as amazing as always. So I, I love him. And then I don't know who plays his friend Eric, but um, his best friend is a. Um, is a gay guy called Eric who is um, also black so he has those sort of like minorities working for him and of course he has a storyline which is kind of recognising the struggle of living um, as a black gay young man but um, equally he is such an amazing character and his storyline is so fantastic and he's the guy who plays him is so um, so talented so I think those two storylines of the main characters, I think, are, you know, naturally going to be very engaging. But there are other characters involved as well. Classmates, enemies, bullies, love interests, all these kinds of things. And they take time for all of them, um, whilst also injecting quite a lot of really funny sexual problems. I think I've never seen a show that graphic that's aimed at teenagers. Like, honestly, I couldn't, I, I would not be able to access that kind of content when I was that age. But this is kind of meant for them and older because it's about their kind of sex issues, right? And I find it wholly believable that teenagers would have these kinds of issues about sex. Um, you know, there's like one person who has like, well, it's vaginitis um, when you can't actually like be penetrated because it's too, your muscles are too tight or something like that. Um, that is something which happens to teenagers, right? So they include that in there and it's graphic, but not in like a, not in like a, um, uh, not great not in like a um, uh, what's the word gratuitous not in a yeah. gratuitous way you're right in a sort of like a way where it's like well this is what happens so we're going to show it in like sometimes comedic sometimes tragic sometimes informative um I, i've never seen a show with that much like graphic sex in it but not gratuitous and i think it always adds to the plot line or adds to the comedy or adds to whatever and it's always tastefully done as well so i think it's so great from that perspective. So it is able to be a funny show about sex that doesn't make you feel incredibly uncomfortable. And then also all these other secondary characters are so well done that you understand why they're doing things, even if you don't enjoy it or don't like what they're doing or what they're adding to the plot. Um, it's such a clever show. So well done, really. Yeah, I'm so glad you're enjoying it. And I think you're right that there's a really strong ensemble um, you know, it starts off with like Asa Butterfield's character uh, and his relationship with, um, she's Emma Mackey's character. What's her name? It's like completely Maeve Whitley. Maeve, yeah. Who's the kind of ten things I hate about you sort yeah. of vibe, isn't she? Um, but then it very much expands, and in the second series even more so. Um, and yeah, um, the, you know, Eric is such a fantastic character. He's played by Intuiti Gatwa. Ah. Um, I'm not sure if, exactly if I'm saying that right, but yeah, he's Scottish as well. Got oh, awesome. You wouldn't um, tell from his, you wouldn't tell from like the well, the voice he uses. Yeah, actually. yeah, it's interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, some of the cast members in Emma, you know, that we saw last oh, week. Oh, yes, um, I know. And uh, yeah, I mean, I love the second series even more. I think it kind of, it widens its scope even further. Mm. And because you've kind of got to know the characters more, you know, it it has that capacity to be able to kind mm-hmm. of go deeper, and like no one is ever a stereotype in whatever. No, you know, no, you're right. Absolutely. Even though it kind of draws upon those like teen movie American, even mm. though it's like it's like filmed in Wales and they're oh, British. Oh yeah, I'll come onto that in a second. Yeah, uh, I think it 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 manages to um, make all the characters feel very grounded in realism, and yeah. I really liked that kind of like stylized American vibe, even though 
you know it doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense no no I like that (laughs) yeah and I think you're right with the stereotypes you know you have the tough guy who is a massive jerk all the time and is the headmaster's son so has a huge chip on his shoulder but also they give you enough time with him to see that he is tortured in some ways by some things so the reason that he does these crazy things which actually are massive dick moves you're not being like hooray I allow him to do it but you're more thinking I think it's a very sensitive portrayal of everybody. So no one person is a villain and no one person is a hero. And I think they do that really well. Um, and they wouldn't think, you know, it's very it's a very intelligent show in that respect. And they chose some great actors for it. But you're right, the setting is funny. So I read about it on Wikipedia because um, I was interested in why they made these decisions. Basically, it's set in sort of the valleys somewhere. I've heard someone say it's Welsh valleys. Personally, I think it might be the Yorkshire valleys. I mean, it's filmed in Wales, but yeah, yeah there's no reason to assume that yeah. not many people in the show are Welsh. Because a lot so. of the people have Northern accents. Yeah, that's true, actually. So I kind yeah. of think, but then also there is a Welsh person running a camper, a caravan park. So Yeah, she's the main Welsh. And then they all live in these nice country houses, which don't really exist in the UK. They go to a school where they all wear their own stylish outfits. <laughs> some of them are 90s, some of them are 70s, some of them dress like they're in the noughties. They all have modern phones. Yet they all have like retro music going on. Like the houses are kind of retro themed sometimes or modern themed other times. Um, it's very, very random. And I think it's quite an interesting one because you, they just, they just, as a British person, you're like, this school would not exist here at all ever. Like these kinds of schools just don't exist. And the kind of situations that get put in, for example, a school dance where all hell breaks loose, just does not happen mm. here. So it's interesting they chose to set this show in England with British actors, or sorry, in the UK, with British actors and everything. And yet it feels American in style and in content and themes, but it's also sort of like vaguely timeless in period as well. So I think maybe what they're trying to do and I kind of get this from Wikipedia, the directors, the, the, sorry, the showrunner said, oh, well, I'm trying, I try to make it like 80s John Hughes films. And that's as far as I really went in terms of trying to make it thematic. So I think it works and that it is a bit timeless. So I guess it kind of feels like an 80s movie with modern themes. And so you can have these modern ideas, but also make it stylized and it all works together. Um, but it is a bit confusing. At one point you're like, they're having a, this, like this like massive dance with like a huge hall, like full of like decorations and lights mm. and a band. And it's very like back to the future yeah, style. And you're future. like, this just wouldn't, we don't have this. They, they maybe put some, they don't, well, they might have like what, a DJ in a gym. And that's as far as you'd <laughs> ever have, you know? I think, um, I know that, yeah, the creator has talked about it quite a lot because I know they, after the first series, did get some comments where people said, oh, did you just do this so that Americans would like mm, it? Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, no, we literally did it because it kind of opened up this whole, um, yeah, you know, method of storytelling mm-hmm. of, like, delving into those, like, Breakfast Club and, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, Back to the Future kind of vibes. And mm-hmm. um, I think once you get used to it, like, I think it does take maybe take, like, a couple of episodes to yeah. kind of acclimatise and yeah. be like, okay, this is where we are. I think it also means that it's not really quote-unquote gritty. Like, a lot of, like, British teen dramas are, oh. you know, skins, skins. etc. are very, mm. like, gritty um, and kind of grubby. And, you know, that's sort of the vibe. And it's like everyone's got their, like, tie loose and their shirt untucked, which is very much like what my school was like. But yeah. I think it's so much more fun and in some ways so much more like inviting to have these like real yeah. issues that like teens and everybody goes through mm. to be set in this kind of like almost like fairy tale kind of world where everyone has as you say this like absolutely beautiful house and like you know yeah. this um 
yeah I, I, re I really enjoyed that I thought it was really clever and like I think yeah I'm excited for you to watch the, the next season yeah it's, continue it's your binge so funny it's so great so yeah that's it and I've um picked up a few books recently um I'm most excited to get into um ooh I've just started reading this book about British women in India going beyond just the Memsahibs of the 19th century, but all the way back to the 17th century with the first sort of British colonisation of India. So that's quite interesting in terms of thinking about, you know, rethinking women's issues and rethinking ideas of women in history, which I've really been enjoying. Um, and I also just finished a uh, book uh, which I didn't like, um, which is this crazy book called uh, Legendary by this woman, Stephanie Garber, who mm -hmm. basically writes... Um, it's basically YA fantasy stuff, very uh, like the Night Circus, but not as well written as that. And it's a second and third, second and three, second. Oh my god, I'm all over the place today. Second book in a three book series, and the most thing I could say about that is that all one of her main character men smells like ink and heartbreak, and I'm like, those aren't oh, smells. Wow. Nothing can smell like ink. That just isn't a what thing. That actually smells like nothing. It doesn't smell like anything. It's driving driven me crazy. But um, yeah, I will report back on that in when I read the third book right. and if she still makes people smell like ink because. Of... Anyway, what about you? Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow. That was a lot. Yeah. No. No. The ink thing has thrown me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I recently read. Um, you know, we excitingly got sent a preview mm. of um, Holly Bourne's new book, Pretending. Oh, yes. Um, which I, in a similar way to, you know, when we were we read The Flat Chair, I kind of started reading it and then just, like, devoured it, like, mm. on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. And was just like, I need to know what, what's going to happen. Um, and we might end up talking about that book a bit later on in, in I was going to say in the series. This isn't really a series, but, you know, in, late, in a later episode. Yes. Um, but, so I'll hold off on, like, too many details. But, um, you know, she, her previous book, how do you like me now was about um, a woman in her early 30s grappling with decisions about whether she should have a baby with her her long-term partner whether she really wanted to be with her long-term partner and kind of buried underneath that were you know issues of maybe like emotional manipulation in the relationship mm. and, and I think this book kind of goes even deeper and like is quite dark in parts um, but it was just completely absorbing. And I think her, she has a real knack for portraying like um, real, real behavior. And like, I think, so sometimes it's written off, perhaps not written off is not the right word, but sometimes maybe categorized as a, you know, romantic comedy kind of writer. Yeah, sure. Uh, women's fiction, you know, that, that kind of, uh, that term that is sometimes yeah. used disparagingly. But I think like, that's very unfair because I think that, you know, her, her writing like encompasses far more than, uh, the romantic comedy idea. Yeah. I also love a romantic comedy, by the way. Yeah, don't yeah. get us wrong. <laughs> um, it definitely wasn't really in that vibe. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, I also this week uh, saw, well, I should say last week, um, yeah, uh, saw Les Miserables uh -huh. uh, again. Uh, this was a, a pre-booked theatre performance, so um, I did go see it before. Yeah, I don't. When we're recording this, I'm like, I don't know what's gonna be going on yeah. when this goes out. By the time out, we but... release it, they could yeah. have closed every theatre. So we quite might possible. have seen, you know, uh, some. Of, I went to see the Prince of Egypt yesterday, and I was. We were there, kind of being like, oh, is this the last outing we're gonna get to do? Yeah, but I went with my hand sanitizer, and uh, yeah, but um, and we were saying as well, like that it's not exactly like a cheerful play, so it maybe wasn't like the thing to see for like escapism. Yeah. And like the following day, you know, I was reading all these headlines with like the dramatic score of Les Mis in my head. But by the by, um, it 
obviously stood up in the same way as you know when we've talked about yeah. um we talked about phantom of the opera in that uh, hilarious episode yes uh, i think you know les miserables is a classic for a reason and it's really interesting to see those classics of musical theater and how they are um continuing to yeah. wow audiences you know 30 odd years after the fact um and but it also i had some like interesting kind of thoughts about it that like you know the last time i'd seen it was like maybe 10 years ago mm. i'd obviously seen the movie in the intervening yes. years mm-hmm. um you know the the real standout performances were um the actress playing eponine and uh, the actress playing fontaine um it's um carrie h fletcher playing so she, she is, but she wasn't playing it in the production we saw. Oh, so it was um, like another study. Uh, yeah, well, basically, she had like a week off uh-huh. um, where apparently she was actually supposed to go to Japan. And then, for, and then she didn't. But either way, she still had the week booked off. Um, so it was Ra- Rachel Ann Go. Oh, I uh, love Rachel Ann Go. Yeah, who was in Miss Saigon. She, no, she played Gigi in Miss Saigon. Yeah. She is mind blowing. She yeah. is fantastic. Oh my gosh, I'm so jealous. Yeah. I love Rachel well, And of course, as you can imagine, she was an incredible Fontaine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she performed I Dreamed a Dream very much in the way that she performed the movie in my mind in oh. Miss Saigon in like a truly kind of devastating performance. Um, very similar themes in those songs, actually, yeah, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then um, the actress playing Eponine was called Shan Williams. Uh-huh. She was wonderful as well. Um, and I think they both also put their own stamp on their, on those like iconic roles. But it did make me think that like both the kind of main powerhouse female roles in Les Mis have this amazing song and then they die. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But which I, I know that's just the story, but um it did yeah, it just kind of made me think that like, oh, I feel today if if uh, if that production was was put together, mm-hmm. I think that they maybe would have like perhaps structured that a bit differently to like make sure that those yeah, characters so it's best- had yeah. Like, longer to shine because you want to see them like you're so excited when they come back at the end as like ghosts leading Valjean to his death because like you just wanted to see them again um, yeah it's a bit of a women in the fridge kind of moment isn't it where like women dies to further the plot or just to you know women dies just to sort of make a bit of a statement and like obviously the show is incredible the show is a classic uh, you know I'm not critiquing Victor Hugo but I just think like <laughs> you can't critique uh, <laughs> Victor Hugo how dare you but actually another interesting thing was um, that they recently reopened the show having done like a big renovation on the theatre oh yes you're right um, and they changed some things up so uh, they no longer have the revolving stage oh really yeah, that was like yeah. iconic no I know this is a big thing like, what do they do now it's a brand new production they do a lot of like <laughs> striding forward <laughs> um, but yeah oh, no. And also, uh, again, spoiler alert for Les Mis, um, you know when Enduras dies? Oh, yeah. And the thing where he's, like, on the barricade. With the, with the flag. So that doesn't happen. I mean, he does die, obviously, but, like... They, <laughs> they keep Roger and Russ alive. He becomes a gay icon. <laughs> they do it slightly differently. Um, but still, I think, incredibly strikingly. And, like, this new production has won so much praise, and rightly so. Like, Ooh. the way they do the lighting and the... The, the big moments such as the barricade scene and Javert falling to his death off the bridge are like so amazing really? like kind of like slightly mind-blowing a bit like um totally different show but like a bit like the play that goes wrong you know or not the play that goes wrong the comedy about the oh robbery, yes with the you know, really like, clever physical yeah. use yeah 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 which was really cool and exciting to see and I think you know really added something fresh to this like obviously very famous musical and then the other thing i was going to say which i texted you about was like how um, you know obviously that you watched it and you're like marius like you know he falls in love with cosette after like five minutes and he's very romantic and he you know uh, very noble um and he's kind of like the romantic hero character um but when i was watching it and i was watching it with my colleague and she was like 
yeah, I think I'm quite like attracted to Val Jordan. And I was like, yeah, I completely get that. And yeah. I was like, is this a sign of like maturity that we now like find Val Jordan far more attractive than Marius? And yeah, I mean, Val Jordan, Val Jordan is a true hunk, you know, a very noble lifts man, up you know? carts, he steals does. bread. Changes identity several times. Yeah, randomly becomes a mayor at one point. We, we know Jean Valjean. We know sorry, Jean, Jean Valjean. We know um, Jean Valjean. His name rhymes with his number. Amazing. Well, I argue that Javert jumps off the bridge because he realizes that Valjean is actually too amazing for him, and he has to. All he can do is kill himself because he can't reconcile that Valjean is so amazing. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, he dies from just pure like stardom. Well, quite possibly, and we did a poll. On the Instagram story, oh, yes, um, and you know, asking you whether you preferred Valjean or Marius, um, and it was a it was a clear win for Valjean. Although there were there were a couple of stragglers who you know still fancied Marius, which is fair. I yeah, I'll give you that. That's all right. I mean, personally, I think that like I Marius never really appealed to me so much, just because I always thought that like he's a bit he's not a wet blanket or anything like that. He's a great guy, does his best, everything like that. But you know, he is. Uh, I, I I always think of. Um, um, what Ellen Joras says, you know, he's like, oh, are we, you know, what is it? I forgot what I have last time, I love it last. And then, you know, he's going like, a ghost, you say, a ghost, maybe. And then Angelas is like, mate, come on, we've got bigger things to worry about than you not falling in love with a ghost. I don't care, you know? So I think that, like, um, for me, Marius was always, like, this sort of, like, slightly airy, fairy, like, you know, member of the team who's always, like, going off and getting into scrapes and oh, we'll yeah. get him out of them. It's very much written like that as well, because I have actually read the book. It was so funny when I went to see it with my colleagues. People kept me like, oh, has anyone read the book? And I'd be like, well, I have actually read the book. <laughs> and by the end, my colleague was like, yeah, Francesca, we know. But I was like, everyone needs to know. It's I like, read like, the book. It's like my one kind of claim to fame of, like, a kind of, like, massive classic that i've read yeah. anyway even though it has no bearing really on the musical right well i would actually say it's a very like accurate adaptation oh, really? yeah oh. definitely i mean obviously it you know it's incredibly abridged that the musical Trendy like did, yeah yes. yeah but um i think uh, i was surprised by like how how evidently you could see you know where the the key moments of the musical had come from the book awesome there's like a massive detour where you hear all about the napoleonic wars for like oh yeah 400 pages or something where i like was like what is happening but um, <laughs> other than that i think it's very accurate and there's this whole bit where marius basically stalks cosette for like weeks you know which of course they cut out because that would have been terrible Marius stalks but he's just, he just keeps walking past her house and like looking hopeful <laughs> so yeah none of that was very appealing anyway it was a classic and it continues to be a classic and obviously i don't know what the status of theatres are right now as you listen to this but we've always got the 25 25th anniversary production that you can check out online oh yes um, that one's got nick jonas in it, it as has, marius yeah which is a bit terrible random. but many other good people yeah. in it um i think alfie beau plays jean Valjean in that production i think he does i can't quite remember but alfie beau of alfie beau and michael bull fame um and michael bull obviously originated marius so yeah and i think there's, there's like a 10th anniversary or 15th anniversary one yes, as well where, has... where michael bull is in it yeah and leah salonga is in it as well i think i think uh, she plays Eppeline. oh yeah oh my god see this so, is... yeah that would be a great thing to watch like whilst you know yeah. you're maybe not able to go outside and honestly we can definitely recommend other 25th anniversary recordings of musicals there's one for phantom of the opera there's one for um miss saigon um shrek the musical is online as well if you're interested so it's plenty you can do um i think um i've actually been sort of 
to go back on to sort of, we haven't actually mentioned the word coronavirus on the show yet. Uh, we've been talking about, you know, the current situation, but I personally am getting to a stage already and it's only been, you know, a few days since real, you know, true As we're recording panic this, yeah. set in. Um, I've been sort of thinking now more, what can I do that isn't just sit in front of a TV and look at it? Because actually when you're faced with the prospect of doing that, of nothing else, it's actually you're a bit like, oh, yeah, it's funny, think, isn't it? you have to try and think of different things to do actually it would be know. a great time to like write your novel i think or you oh know, yeah you know, do something like really creative or um interesting that you've always wanted to do but you're like oh, i never have time because yeah. there's always something pulling me outside learn language plenty of online reasons to do that yeah you know yeah. play board games draw i don't know i mean yeah i think i've recently learned that dogs can't get coronavirus Thank God, if you don't know any dear listeners, I have a, a dog, a Labrador, who is the true light of my life. And I'm like, well, great. I'll go to isolated areas and walk him, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Because you're, I think, allowed to still walk. Yeah. And about. You definitely yeah. are. I'll just get in my car, drive with the dog, walk the dog in an isolated area and just not speak to anybody. That's all right. Still getting outside. Yeah. So, yeah. And you can still speak to Barney, the dog. You can, Barney the dog. He has an Instagram if you're interested. His Instagram is Barney the Golden Dinosaur. Which is a play on the fact that purple dinosaur. Also, speaking of Instagrams and Twitters, oh, what well, a, what a good scene! What a scene. <laughs> Seg- what a segue. Um, we are always active on Twitter and Instagram, especially now, given that either of us may have nothing to do in the next few weeks. So um, that's a joke. We work from home. Um, we have a Twitter, which is real LLW. All of our updates about when we're posting and what we're going to post about are going to be up on there. We have an Instagram, which features all the stuff that we're kind of up to. Um, you would have seen that we were we were at the Prince of Egypt and um, Lemmis yeah. this week, which is Love's Labours Watched. And we have our email, loveslabourswatch at gmail.com. You can direct any questions, business inquiries, anything like that is all going to be on there. Um, so that's about it. I think. I think so. Yeah. Yes. So, stay safe out stay there, guys. Safe, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, follow the follow the national advice in your country. Don't go on Twitter too much unless you're looking at our Twitter page. Yeah, maybe mute everyone on Twitter Apart except us. for us. <laughs> yeah, we won't talk about Corona stuff, we no. promise. Um, and yeah, we'll see you next time. We will. We will. Yeah. Or not. We won't no, see you. We you'll will. hear us. We will see you. Well, yeah, yeah you won't see us. Yeah. We're not going to suddenly become like a Skype situation. No, no. Anyway, bye. Bye.